the Apostles' Creed and the next, the next, and so forth. And so they were going just fine, but they got to an awkward silence in this recitation. And Dr. Rees was baffled by what had taken place. And finally, one of the little boys stood up and said, I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. Reese, the boy that believes in the Holy Spirit didn't get here. <laughs> and I think that this happens a lot of times in, in churches. Uh, the person who believes in the Holy Spirit didn't get there. Uh, but this is not going to be the case here. Let me begin by uh, uh, recounting for you something that all of you know. Advent, of course, is Christmas. And all of us think about the coming of Christ at Christmas uh, because everywhere we go we hear Christmas carols being sung or we see a manger scene someplace. And so this reminds us of the coming of our Savior, the Messiah. Then when we think uh, as we enter into the spring of the year, uh, we get into the Lenten season and we think about passion, the great love of our Lord for us, the love that drew him to the cross at Calvary. And the solemn hush that comes over devout Christians as they think on Good Friday, a day which for many of us has been a fast day for many years. My own mother, who uh, had no formal education uh, to amount to anything, uh, I think maybe the third grade is as far as she ever went in school. And she called me last week, she's uh, up in her 90s now, and Mama always fasted on Good Friday. And she taught us as a child that this was a special day uh, because it was the day in which our Savior gave his all for us. And then we think of Easter, the glorious resurrection from the dead. And the church is lily-scented and filled with uh, happy throngs of worshipers who come on that Sunday for all of the uh, happiness of that occasion. There is another occasion which we do not celebrate as much in some of our churches that are not as liturgical but which we ought to give attention to. And that's Ascension Sunday. The fact that our Lord Jesus Christ ended those appearances of his after 40 days and he ascended into heaven uh, where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he ever lives to make intercession for us. I sometimes illustrate this by telling of two little American girls who were visiting over in London. And they went into one of the great uh, museums of art and they saw a newly painted portrait of Queen Elizabeth uh, in all of her regal splendor as queen over the British Empire, a lovely lady indeed. And they were looking at uh, Queen Elizabeth and one little girl said to the other one, what is she doing? And the other little girl said, oh silly, She's reigning. <laughs> and that was a good answer. She is reigning. She is queen. She has the authority and power, and she's reigning. And our Lord Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he reigns. He reigns. It may not seem that way to us sometimes when we go into a sick room and we see our dear friends smitten with cancer or racked with depression or going through some ordeal that's difficult to explain. But he reigns. He reigns. And he'll have the last word. His power will come through. And then, of course, after ascension comes Pentecost. We all know what the Pentecost... Yesterday I was trying to explain to one of our Chinese students from Peking, who is a new uh, Christian and 
uh, professed faith in Christ last year and received Christian baptism. And we were talking about this word Pentecost. And of course he doesn't have the uh, Latin background that uh, some of our words uh, come from. And I, I said to him, you know what the Pentagon is? And he knew that word very quickly. And I said, well, that means five sides, of course. And uh, a Pentecost means 50. It's a, a, a Greek uh, and uh, Latin way of saying to us 50. Uh, the Greeks were putting this to us. The 50th day, the 50th day uh, uh, was a great feast to be celebrated. Uh, 50 days after Passover, the Jews believed that God gave a new law. His great Ten Commandments came at that time to bring the chaos uh, into order. And so uh, we read the account of Pentecost in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Let me begin to read just a little bit of this, and I'll explain parts of it as we go along. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Uh, let me say that Pentecost, we all know what the Passover is. That celebrated the exodus out of Egypt a great and powerful act of God. And Pentecost, the 50 days after Exodus, uh, would be the coming of the law of God and also the, the first fruits of harvest. The priest would take the first grain offering. It would be made into loaves of bread and he would hold these loaves of bread up high and wave them. And uh, this was to indicate uh, God's provision uh, there. And it was a feast. It was a time of celebration. Uh, then, of course, there's another feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, that comes up in our month of September. And uh, this, uh, uh, they usually built booths at that time and remembered the time of, of wandering in the wilderness and God's provision of guidance for them then. Uh, but here Pentecost had come. And by the way, at Pentecost, there would have been better weather. And so more people could get into the city of Jerusalem than would have been there uh, at Passover. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise, this is something that we can hear, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The King James tells us that they were in one accord in one place. And someone has dryly remarked that's probably the only time in the history of the church that's ever happened. That they've been in one accord in one place. But it happened here. They were in one accord and they were in one place. And so there comes this noise. Something that appeals uh, to the ear. A noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Maybe the house where they were sitting was the upper room. It was a large upper room. And maybe that's where it was. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. Uh, this is um, something that's hard for us to imagine. imagine. But if you could think of a big um, ball of fire that swept into a room and then divided up into smaller bits of fire and shone upon various people, uh, that might give you some idea of it. It says uh, there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The word Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit are interchangeable and the same. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as it was giving them utterance. Just as I said a moment ago, the giving of the law would symbolize the bringing in of order. When we have a breakdown of law, uh, we have chaos that comes about. One of the things that's wrong in our present society in America and at large in the world today is that there is a breakdown of order. There is a breakdown of law. Most of us can remember when we could go into any airport that we wanted to and board any airplane that was leaving. And we did not have to go through a metal detector and be searched. Uh, but now that's not possible anymore. Uh, now there are uh, public occasions are difficult to maintain order or control. It seems that people in seeking their freedom have tried to take it as far as it could go and all it does is break down. The more restraint uh, from the inside, the more there will have to come from the outside. And we see this a great deal in the society in which we live today. Uh, we need order. Order comes here and the order comes about because the Spirit of God uh, grants them the ability to communicate with each other. Uh, all of these people from various languages to speak with other tongues. It does not say unknown tongue. That word does not occur here at all. Uh, but it says other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem and then there's a comma. Uh, Jews and devout men, that would have meant proselytes to a belief in Judaism or in Jehovah and the God of the Old Testament from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were attracted by that loud noise. A moment ago when Chris stepped on that wire, you were uh, startled by that loud noise. If a bomb should go off outside, you would be startled by the noise. There was a tremendous violent noise that occurred and the people were attracted by that noise. And they heard this sound. The multitude came together and they were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. A sudden reversal of Babel takes place. In the Old Testament, there was a time when man's arrogance and pride caused him to try to build a tower. And he wanted to have one uniform uh, language, but it resulted in a babble of sounds because it was a rebellion against God. But here, there is a conformity that is brought about and a reversal of Babel takes place and each understands the other in his own language, the language wherein he was born. And they were amazed and they marveled, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They knew that these were Galilean people. How would it be that each uh, was speaking? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then comes a sort of national geographic tour of the Mediterranean. Parthians, Medes, uh, uh, that would have, Parthia uh, is where Tehran is. Uh, that would be as far away as Iran, 12, 1500 miles. Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, I think that was Turkey, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, 
and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from as far away as Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking. What were they speaking? They were speaking the mighty deeds of God. They were telling of the great deeds of God both in the Old Testament and then the deeds of God which were wrought in the Messiah. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But there are other people who mock. They were mocking, saying they are full of sweet wine. But Peter, and I'm always like that Peter uh, was great at repartee. He could come back without getting mad. He wasn't stiff and formal. And when they said, you act like a bunch of drunks, Peter just said, didn't say, we are not drunk. Uh, but he, he sort of rolls with the punch. And he makes a joke out of it. Uh, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my word. And then uh, he says, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose. And then he gives them the joke line, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The bars are not even open. How could they be drunk by now? Uh, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now he's going to cite Old Testament scripture in Joel. He will recite some scripture from Isaiah. And he will recite, I believe, four times from the book of Psalms in this great sermon that he brings here. Uh, and by the way, when I was studying uh, this particular under John Stott, the great Cambridge scholar, uh, he pointed out to us that this speech must have lasted for several hours. Now, I'm not going to preach that long this morning. Uh, but uh, this speech, it takes about 10 minutes to read this entire account. Uh, but uh, 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 Peter must have given a rough summary of the book of Acts. And I like to point out at this time that uh, that great British actor, Alec McCune, uh, startled all of Broadway uh, by memorizing the King James Version of the book of Acts and being able to hold people spellbound for two hours by giving them without addition and without leaving anything, uh, uh, putting anything in or taking anything out, the King James Version of the book of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark uh, is believed to have gotten what he puts down from Peter. And uh, Peter may have given something very much like the Marks in an account here. Uh, he begins to speak, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and then he cites and it shall be in the last days. I always point out when we get to this that when people ask you, are we living in the last days? The answer is yes, we are. It started back then. The last days started right here. And so we're living in the last days. And if you're an issue-oriented person and you're thinking about the great issues that face our society and our world, let me tell you there is one issue which cannot be evaded, which is more important than any other issue. And that's the issue of whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. And here comes the answer to that issue. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky. By prophesy, it does not mean reading into the future, but it means uh, a stirring utterance, uh, a reporting uh, of these truths of God. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. There is still a day to come when Jesus comes back again. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the great gospel, the good news. Now then, he brings it to bear. Men of Israel, listen to these words. And here comes the book of Mark. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And then Luke stops here uh, because he is indicating to us that some more takes place that he is not going to write down at this point, uh, but that a whole lot more is said by Peter in this great sermon. And uh, so there is a, an indication here that at this point, uh, Peter would have placed in uh, the great things about the, the summary of the life of Christ and what it means uh, for us men and for our salvation. The reason we switched to the Nicene Creed a moment ago was so that we could catch that phrase and also so that we could catch the phrase about the work of the Holy Spirit. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And now he cites the Psalms. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence for my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope. We need that hope today. Because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. Then Peter states, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. And so because he was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. There having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Now that's important for us to remember. And what's the response of the crowd? Brethren, it says, 
They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? This is a tremendous message, but it requires of us that we do something as a result of it. The gospel was not placed into the world so that we might have something to talk about. The gospel was put into the world so that our lives and hearts might be changed and so that we would be agents of change as the Holy Spirit works in us in the world. This we need to understand and this we need to know. In our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we have been studying the work of the Holy Spirit this spring. And in going through those studies, we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I emphasize to our students who were vitally concerned, especially about the gifts of the Spirit, that uh, those who may have experienced the gift of tongues, we do not scold because that is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Those who do not have this particular gift uh, may not lord it over other people because they don't have it. Those who have the gift may not lord it over other people because they have. The Spirit himself is sovereign. And no one gift of the Spirit may be made uh, the hallmark of the work of the Holy Spirit, except one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The greatest work that the Holy Spirit will ever do in your life or in my life will be to enable us to say, Jesus is Lord. And that will really be the truth. It will be a reality. He is Lord of our life. Only the Holy Spirit can take away the veil of flesh. Only the Holy Spirit can let us see through to Jesus and what it means to give our lives totally under his Lordship. And when the Holy Spirit has done that work in our life, he will have done the biggest work that he can do in our life. He will have brought to us salvation. The other spectacular gifts, the gifts of healing, the gifts of great works that are done, these are all marvels. But the greatest work is to convert us to salvation, to make us to say Jesus is Lord and really know it. So that other people, you know, that's an interesting point. Let me point this out. One in the Bible goes around saying, I possess this gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't see that in the book of Acts, although the words about the Holy Spirit are mentioned 75 times in the book of Acts alone. But other people point that out. Other people point out and talk about those gifts of the Spirit. And that's one thing that we ought to keep in mind uh, here the work of the Holy Spirit that came. They were believers together. They were people who witnessed the wind and the fire, one representing cleansing, the other power. They were given words of witness to a crowd. There was mockery by some, but there was wonder and astonishment by others. And as a result of it, there were 3,000 people 
that were baptized that day. That's the largest group that we ever see in the Bible at one time being converted. Those 3,000 at that time. It was a great outpouring of the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now then, we come to the bottom line. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? I can only receive the Holy Spirit by being willing to repent of my sins. Repentance means a new mind and a new way of looking at things. He comes into my life to convince me of my sin and miseries, as our old catechism puts it. And that leads me to a repentance. And once that repentance has come into my mind and heart, then the Holy Spirit moves into me to be the Lord and director of my life. When I was a student at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, I used to go often to the Firth of Forth, uh, the great place where you could look out. And uh, back then, the Fourth Bridge was the great thing that we all talked about. And uh, you saw huge ships that were sailing. Sometimes you saw little pleasure vessels with their sails up and that were different color, blue and yellow and orange on a spring day. But then you saw great huge ships that had a real serious purpose in life. These are all being guided. And the Holy Spirit brings to us the joy of salvation through the refreshing repentance. I love to think of the wind and the power that it brings. Because Think of how horrible the world would be if the winds should fall dead. When those people went on the moon, they had to take a a flag that was framed because there was no wind to blow it out. Think of the, the seas, the, the oceans in the world would be horrible, stultifying, if there was no wind blowing over them. Our plains country out in the west would be horrible to live in without the winds that come, the strong driving winds, the wind of the Spirit. And then, of course, the fire cleanses. The city of London was racked once by a plague, and people were stacked dead like cordwood outside houses. The plague raged for a long time, and then the great fire of London came, and it burned and seared to the ground. But it also burned away the deadly bacillus that had been causing all of this horrible destruction. And so the fire of God comes into our lives and burns away the dross, so that the good fruits of the Spirit might seed out and bring forth fruit uh, in our lives. There is a hymn which I would like for us to conclude with, 354. Look at the third stanza especially. A glorious band, the chosen few, on whom the Spirit came. Twelve valiant saints, their hope they knew, and mocked the cross and flame. They met the tyrants, brandished steel, the lions, gory mane. They bowed their necks, the death to feel, who follows in their train. Let's bow in prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit, without whom we cannot worship You, we cannot know You, we cannot live for you, but we thank you that with his gracious power, 
that you can cause all things to work together for good because we are loved and called according to your purpose. We pray that you will take us from our place of worship, determine that we shall yield so to you, that the Holy Spirit may be evidenced in our lives by the fruits of the Spirit day by day. Forgive us for past failures. Help us never to quench the moving of the Spirit, but always to obey Him and to grow in grace and to perform those works of love and mercy which authenticate the fact that He dwells in us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and teaching power of the Holy Spirit, our guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.